spontaneous love is something I never knew anything about. I, I Again, I had been taught love was a choice. Love is a decision. Love is your action. Love is commitment. Now I tell people, if, uh, if I have to love out of commitment, commit me. <laughs> like, just lock me away. Because I've, li- I've lived that life of loving out of commitment, where I've reduced love to a decision. I've reduced love to an act of my will. The Bible says God is love. Love can't fail. Love is not puffed up. Love keeps no account of wrong done to it. Just try that one. I tell people, try right now. Try right now to wipe out all, all record of any wrong ever done to you on a count of three, go. And nobody can do it. Not a single person can do that. Because love is not what you do. Love is a person that you become one with. And it's actually three people. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And when, when our relationship with God becomes such that it is an emotional relationship, which I know is opposite, of, again, of what I was taught, without the emotional factor, the only place that love exists is in your logic. It exists in your frontal lobe. But in the diencephalon part of the brain, the limbic part of the brain, that's where the emotions and fact come together and unite where all things are possible. And that's why as a man thinks, so is he. And whatever you believe, you'll have. So if I think that love looks like X, Y, Z, and my facts don't match that, and my emotions don't match it, I can still believe in my frontal lobe 100%, but that's not what I'll get in my life. See, the frequency of the frontal lobe is not the same as the frequency of the limbic brain. The limbic brain is attached to the heart. And we actually now can record the frequency of the heart. And it looks sort of like a double bubble, if you ask me, with a hole in the middle. So it's a vortex. It's like a double vortex. It's a wheel within a wheel. It's a double vortex is what it is. And so there's not more than one musical chord. There's not more than one heart frequency. There's one heart frequency in the entire universe. And that one heart frequency is inside all of us. There's only one kingdom of God and it's in all of us. And so we now have been, we have the capability. Um, I'm not sure all the places, but I know the Heart Math Institute in California does this. And I think Princeton University does it also, but I'm sure there are other colleges and universities that, that have this same information. Cause once one university gets the scientific evidence to support something others you know it usually begins to spread like wildfire but basically what they did was they mapped the heart emotion frequency of one person then they bring another person into the room and they would they expected to have two frequencies but what they found was it was only one then they bring three people in a room still only one Mm -hmm. a thousand people in the room Still only one. Now the frequency grows and it multiplies, but in scripture it says one can put a thousand, two could put ten thousand. Wow. Well then when you put three, it's even magnified again and magnified again. So that's the area that we're gonna be working in today. We're gonna be working in the frequency of your heart, which is tuned into something, just like a guitar string is tuned, a piano is tuned. And whatever you're tuned into, that's what you resonate with. 
So the tuning does not take place in your logic. If it did, we could learn the scripture, we could quote the Torah, we could quote the Old Testament, quote the New Testament, and that would be our frequency. That's not how it works. That part of the brain is not connected directly to the heart. But the limbic brain is, through the endocrinology, through your hypothalamus, through the amygdala, the pineal, all that part of the brain which controls everything. It controls your thyroid, which is your metabolism. It controls the rate at which you produce blood cells inside your marrow. And the Word of God does what? It cuts. It's a double-edged sword cutting all the way through the joint and the marrow. So what is the joint and the marrow? The joint is where something's connected, where the two become one. And the marrow is where the blood is. How do we become one with blood? Blood and emotion are the same thing. But I was taught my entire life, whether it would be in psychology or um, in, the, in the Christian churches that I attended, I was taught that you couldn't trust your emotion, that forgiveness, you don't have to feel forgiveness. You, you just make a choice and you decide. Now that got me through some tough times. And I'm not saying throw that baby out with the bathwater, but that is just a seed. That is not the fruit and in order to have fruit in your life that's sustainable and what I call spontaneous, it must go from your logic, reasoning, and an act of your will to the amygdala part of the brain where the two become one. What two? The fact and the emotion. And that is something you can orchestrate. That is something you can facilitate. Just like if you have a, a symphony of people that's going to play a beautiful piece of music. They all could know that music and know it well. But without a conductor, they're probably not going to play it very well together. So the Holy Ghost is the conductor. What am I going to do? I'm going to be the wand in the Holy Ghost's hand that's orchestrating, as the Holy Ghost leads me, the thought processes that I want you to go through. So when I lay my hands on you, I'm not trying to read your mind. I'm not trying to get a word of knowledge necessarily. I'm not trying to prophesy. Those things may happen, but I'm literally going to seek your heart. Why? Because the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and, all, and his righteousness and all these things will be added. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to look for emotions in you that don't feel loved that don't feel validated, that don't feel understood, that don't feel important, that feel alone, isolated, rejected, abandoned, neglected. And when I find those, I'm going to say, Father, give me the key to this kingdom. Now, why would I need a key for anything? If the door is unlocked, do I need a key? No. No. So the fact that he says he's going to give me a key is evidence that it's shut down or I wouldn't need one. So that key is going to come in the form of a word or a vision, some kind of understanding God's going to give me to get into your heart. So what am I really trying to get into? I'm trying to open up or tear down any wall that has been erected that has helped you to get to this point in a survival mode. Mm -hmm. And I want to tear down the survival mode. And I want to bring you back into spiritual nakedness in the garden before the Lord, where there, there is no shield or buckler other than Christ himself. 
where vulnerability is a gift so that you can become the most intimate with God that you could even imagine. It surpasses our understanding. When we have walls of protection, they do separate us, but they're not bad. Walls of, of protection, God created us in such a way that we have them naturally. For example, if I submit my hand to a, a, the uneven, uneven bars as a gymnast or a hammer as a carpenter, my hand's going to produce calluses, but that's a gift. Why? Because I'm in a, I'm in a work mode. And as long as I'm in a work mode, I'm going to need those calluses or else I'll ruin my hand. I'll, I may lose it to gangrene. But when the work is done, and I'm no longer working for acceptance, mm-hmm. I'm no longer working as a bond servant, and I want to become a bride, I'm going to go through aloes and myrrhs, probably 12 months or so. And I'm going to be softened. And I'm going to, at that point, say, Father, I I understand in your word that you said circumcise not your flesh, but circumcise your heart. I don't understand the circumcision of the heart, but I want to rip open my heart, circumcise my heart, take off any calluses. Why? Why would I want God to do that? Because Jesus gave us a clue. He said, is your heart still hard? Do you still not hear? Is your heart still hard? Do you still not see? So we know that when our heart is hard or calloused because... That's the way it's made. It's supposed to get calluses until the time for love to awaken, until the time of circumcision. Now, if you notice, the little uh, Jewish boys were circumcised on day number eight. Eight means new beginning. So in order for you to have a new beginning, you're going to have to have your heart circumcised. And the Bible says uh, the word of God comes first to the Jew and then the Gentile. And the Jew represents the kingdom of heaven. It represents relationship. Gentile represents that which is grafted in, that which is not heaven. So what's the opposite of heaven? Earth. So the Word of God is going to come first to your Jew, first to your inside, first to your circumcised heart, and then to the Gentile, then to your flesh, then to the earth, then to the rest of you. So oftentimes when we're circumcising the heart, ripping open the heart, you'll find that as the heart heals, the body will manifest a healing simultaneously. It's so amazing to like nobody's laying hands on you. Nobody's trying to get your body to heal. Sometimes we lay hands on people specifically for healing, like a back to heal or whatever. But many times we've had entire bodies heal, um, bladders heal, deaf ears open. And no one's saying, I command this body part to be healed. I'm not against that. But I don't see that happen in my life as often as I've seen it happen in other people's lives. Usually when I see healing happen... It's because the heart is healing because it's being circumcised. It's being cut off. The, not, not the heart being cut off, but the, the calluses are being cut off. So that heart of stone can come out. A heart of flesh can be restored, filled with God's spirit. And then we shall walk in his statutes and shall keep his commandments, which is how this started, spontaneous love. Because in love, all the commandments are contained. He said, upon these two hang all the law. And a lot of times when I say that, I'll act like I have a noose around my neck and I'll say it hangs. All the law, prophet, they hang on these two. Because once, once you enter into spontaneous love, you don't need the law anymore. Because it's fulfilled. In what? Love, which is Christ. Right? And so Christ is the only one that can do heart surgery. He's the king of the brokenhearted. 
I'm just like a midwife. You know, I'm here to facilitate. The word facilitate, you know, we know that means to make it easier. So as a coach, what am I going to do for you? I'm going to look for places in your heart that are broken and that have calloused over. And I'm going to look for how did you callous those things? Justification, minimization, rationalization. What method are you using to keep yourself protected? To... Um, to not vilify another human being. Because sometimes when you're going through healing, you might feel like you're dishonoring your mother, dishonoring your father, dishonoring your spouse, dishonoring a child, dishonoring a sibling. I'm not here to dishonor any of them. But I am here to discover how those relationships made you feel less than loved. So we are going to expose some of their spiritual nakedness, if you will. But we're going to do it to cover them. We're not going to do it to beat them up or to find a scapegoat. No, we want to find where there's any unforgiveness that you may not even be aware of. And we want to show what that looks like. And the truth of that is going to set you free. I'm not going to set you free. I'm not going to declare you free, decree you free, name it, claim it. Not that I'm against any of that. God taught me how to decree things. But this is different. This is where truth will come to you in such a way that you won't be able to hold a grudge. Spontaneous forgiveness will flood your soul. It will overwhelm you. It will overtake you. It will take your breath away and buckle your knees. That's spontaneous love. Mm -hmm. That's spontaneous forgiveness. It's not an act of your will. It's not a decision. There were times in my life when I lived that and it, and it served me well. So I'm not against someone teaching that for a season. Mm-hmm. But I taught things to my children for a season that once they reached puberty or adulthood, those things I taught them as a child no longer worked. They needed new information. They needed new wisdom. They needed a deeper understanding of wisdom, like where do babies come from? Well, when my son's five and asks me where babies come from, it's a different answer than when he's 10 mm-hmm. and then when he's 18. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So the same thing happens with us in this area of forgiveness. We do need to teach our children forgive, and they don't really want to. They say, I'm sorry, so they don't have to go in time out. And then as a grown woman, you know, I forgive because I want to be forgiven. Well, that's a selfish thing. That's not true forgiveness, but it is the pathway that got me to where I am. So I'm not going to throw the path away, but I am going to wake up to, wait a minute, God, this isn't real. I say I forgive. I want to forgive. I choose to forgive. I commit myself to forgiving and I got to do it a gazillion times. Every time I see the person, I still want to rip their head off, you know, and I didn't want that. The scripture says I can live without offense till Christ comes. Well, being offended is an emotion. That's a feeling when you feel offended. So how can I come to a place where I no longer feel offended at someone? Truth is the only thing that can do that for you. Jesus is the truth, manifest the truth, is the truth manifested in flesh. And what did he do when he was on the cross? He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He wasn't choosing as an act of his will. As a matter of fact, he laid his will down in the garden. 
It was not an act of his will. It was he knew love and is one with love. And the one that he called love was not even himself. He called God. He said, there's none good but my Father, which is in heaven. Don't call me good. So what does that mean? Jesus isn't good? Well, either he's not good or he's a liar. Well, I didn't want to answer either one of those questions when God asked me. Jesus asked me, Angela, am I good? I said, oh, yes, Jesus, you're good. He said, oh, so now you call me a liar. I'm like, no, I said you was good. This is my conversations with God. Mm-hmm. And I said, God, how? I don't want to answer this question because I don't want to call you a liar and I don't want to say that you're not good. He said, you assume that not good is bad. Mm-hmm. I went, yeah, I do. He said, assuming's not a good thing. See, God knows all things. God don't assume. And I can be one with the one who knows all things. And Holy Ghost will reveal all truth unto me. And so when, when we're working in this area of your body called the emotion, we're not just working in what's in your gut and what you feel here. We're literally working in every single cell in your body, all the way to the marrow. And the way that we work in there is because of the way the hypothalamus works. The hypothalamus has a record. It actually keeps account of the exact chemical combination that was released in your body when you were offended at any time during your life. Even those things you were unconscious of, like when you were in the womb, or things that were passed down in your DNA through the 23 chromosomes from your mom and 23 from your dad. That's why you can see things passed down. It's because they've never been reconciled at the chemical level in the DNA. Well, we now know that DNA is affected by feelings. We have... We can map electronically DNA when it's under stress of jealousy, contempt, anger, any of those things that are still lacking truth. When when that happens, the DNA begins to be very, very tightened and the coiling of it, you know, it's um, helix, right? It, It begins to get very... People say, oh, that person's wound tight. They really are. You really are wound tight. Your, your DNA begins to be compacted and wound very, very tight. And when it does that, it's not open and it's in a state of fear. And the frequency that it vibrates at is in a state of fear or dis-ease. It's not at peace. It's not at rest. Well, in Hebrews, it says there remains a rest, a promise. There remains a promise. Enter thou into the rest of God. Well, the rest of God doesn't just mean like peace and comfort. It means all truth. Why? Because all truth will set you free. Um, So that's what we're going to be looking for. We're going to be looking for any place in your life where you've seen part truth and that part of you is in disease. And we want to bring all truth. Why? Because all truth will bring you into rest. So why is it that that anyone would not love truth? Because the Bible says, Because you love not the truth, I'll give you over to a strong delusion. It doesn't say the devil will. It says, I will. I will give you over to a strong delusion. So I ask God, why would we not want truth? Who wouldn't want truth? Who wouldn't love truth? Well, you don't love truth when it's painful, when it's brutal, when it's a bad memory, when it's someone that you thought loved you, you knew loved you, 
did something that didn't feel very loving. And let me tell you something, your feelings are accurate. They're very, very accurate. Your perception of them might be deceived. Your opinion of them might be deceived. Mm -hmm. The way that you look at them could be crooked. But the emotion itself is neither good nor bad, and it will never, ever lie to you. We've been taught, I was taught that your emotions lie. No, they don't. Emotions are innocent. Emotions are neither good nor bad. They are. It's, some are negatively charged. Some are positively charged. I don't typically use the word negative because people think negative, they associate it with bad. And they, they associate positive with good. Mm -hmm. Well, if that was the case, you'd never have a light bulb in your house. Right? Mm -hmm. But if you use the word painful and pleasurable, somehow the brain can wrap around that and, and grasp it and hold on to it and go, oh, you mean emotions are painful or pleasant? Yes. So what do I do with those painful ones? You learn from them. For example, if I put my hand in the fireplace and my hand began to burn before I touched the flames, would that be a good thing or a bad thing? It would be good. Why? Because it would prevent me from putting my hand in the fire and then losing my skin. Mm -hmm. So that pain is a good indicator of truth. Mm -hmm. Likewise, the pain in your heart is a really good indicator of truth. Sometimes the truth that it's indicating is that you've believed a lie. And that is the only way that lie is going to surface so that truth can come in and truth will deliver you. Jesus is your deliverer. I'm not. Truth and Jesus are the same thing. So you, in your life and in my life, we deem something to be true. Jesus comes along and redeems it. Why? To give you the full truth. Because mm -hmm. without full truth, you have part truth. Man sees in part and knows in part. So why do we have the part? Because we're the female part. We're the part that's without form and void. We're the part that has a place that's made ready for the seed. We are just like the soil. We're waiting for the seed. But when the seed comes into us, we can't, we can't behold it. We can hold on to it. We can carry it. But we can't behold it. We can't see it. Just like a woman, when I received my husband's seed, I couldn't tell if it was a boy or a girl. I knew it was one or the other. I could, one's a positive, one's a negative. A boy's a positive, he's going to be a giver. He gives his seed. A girl's a negative. She's going to be a receiver. But I don't know which one it is. I just know that either one is still good. See? And so likewise, emotions, some are positive, some are negative. Some's a giver, some is a receiver. Pain is like a receiver. It's receiving information. And it's trying to get your attention. If you had a check engine light in your vehicle and it comes on when you're driving down the road, and you, and you go, oh, Angela, my check engine light's on. I need to check my engine. I'm like, oh, no, I, I just knock my light out all the time. Let's just turn. Let's just, here, I, I can help that. And I take the front off of the dash thing off, and I, and I just unscrew that check engine light. Would that be a good thing? <laughs> no. We do the very same thing with our emotion. Oh, don't feel that way. Let's just rebuke the feeling of rejection. Let's just rebuke that spirit of adoption. Let's 
let's just rebuke these things. Well, my question is, how well is that working? I, I found it didn't work for me. I just had to rebuke every day. So I began to live a day, live a life of being a victim. I didn't have life in life abundant. I lived always in a battle, never at rest, where the word says, enter thou into the rest. So I tell people, if you like battling and you like being a victim, then you don't need me. Stay there, but don't pull me into that drama. Don't call me four or five times a week saying, pray with me, I'm in drama. My husband does like this. He, he shows you a circle around himself. He says, you see this right here? What is that? He says, that's my no drama zone. Keep your drama out of my zone. So, living a life of abundant life is where we as Christians are supposed to be living so that those that don't know Christ would come to our shining. But so many of us, including myself at times, have lived a life of codependent victimization where we're always in a battle, and we don't, we don't know what abundant life is about. But once we enter into all truth, and we seek the kingdom and His righteousness, and we find it, guess what happens? All these things are added unto you. And there's no such thing as lack. You live a life of no lack and abundancy, and I promise you people are going to come to your shining. You will not have to call them and say, Hey, come see my shining. Let me tell you about my abundance. No, they're going to chase you down. They're going to be looking. For, they chased Jesus down. They, they, they were hungry and following him. And he felt Jesus had compassion on them. Why? Because they were hungry and fed them. So what kind of life are we living as Christians, as ministers, if that's not happening to us? Now, I've had some people get mad at me because I won't be their rescuer. Because I found that those that need me to rescue them once a week, don't really want rescuing. What do they really want? They want to feel loved. So what happens is they ring your phone, they knock on your door, they PM you, they all this, and they tell you all their problems so that you can rescue them so they can feel loved. And then you think, praise God, we got a breakthrough. But then next week you get the same message. Next week, same message. I was like, wait a minute, Father, something's wrong with this. This isn't healthy. What am I doing? I was fostering codependency. Because see, once you're healed, you don't need to keep being healed. So what we want to do is we want to get into the place out of reasoning, out of logic, out of intellect. We want to get into that diencephalon part of the brain. We want to change the molecular structure in the brain through the utilization of emotion. And we're going to bring positive and negative emotion together at the same time. Why? Because it's going to turn a light bulb on inside of you. And that light bulb is the, is the light of Jesus. It's the truth. And when you see that, your entire life is changed. What you draw into your life truly is a quantum frequency of magnetic, electromagnetic field. Electromagnetic field. That's why Jesus said, whatever you believe, you'll have. And as a man thinks, so is he. It's literally because that's what's going on. So when the two become one, they'll manifest all things are possible. Now, here's the, here's the catch. If the two become one and believe you're not loved, they'll manifest a life that shows you're not loved. It'll manifest a life of rejection. Perpetual. Cycle after cycle after cycle. 
And if the two become one and they believe that you are loved, you'll produce a cycle of that. So that's what we're looking for. We're looking for any area in your life where the two, what two? Your logic and your emotion, your fact and your emotion believe something. And if they believe a lie, we want to change that into the truth. Because your frontal lobe can believe the truth and your amygdala believe the lie and the two haven't become one. We need the two to become one. Why? Because the frontal lobe represents seed. The limbic brain represents your heart. Heart represents field, right, where seeds are planted. And the frontal lobe represents word. Well, word and seed is the same thing. Guess what this thing in front of us where we can't see anything is called? Electromagnetic field. It's a field. Just like, a, just like a dirt field is a field. And you put tangible seeds in the dirt field. And you put tangible seeds in the womb. You can put seeds in this field of energy. And they're going to produce whatever you sow. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. How did I learn that? I said, God, I don't understand. How does a brand new baby girl come into this world and at three years old she get molested? She didn't sow that seed. He said, yes, she did. I'm like, no, she didn't. She ain't done anything. She's innocent. No, but in her DNA is a frequency that women aren't valued. In her DNA is a frequency because somewhere before her, somebody was molested. And that frequency is still calling out for justice. The blood is crying out. And until that is healed, it'll perpetuate in the bloodline. But there's coming a day when the spirit of Elijah will come and re- Store the hearts of the children to the fathers and the fathers to the children. And that don't just mean daddy. If you look up that word fathers, it means parents, plural, the pair. What is the pair? The positive and the negative. God's going to restore us, not only to himself and the Holy Spirit through Christ, but he's also going to restore us to what positive and negative means, what receiver and giver means. He's going to restore so we understand it, so that we're walking in all truth. And it's not some of a aloof thing out there that we call miracles. Some things will still appear as miracles until God unveils them. But miracle only means something you can't explain. Well, guess what? I can explain now how a three-year-old can draw that to herself when she's innocent. So how do we stop it? If I can get to that three-year-old who's now a 45-year-old woman and stop it in her bloodline, a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. What does that mean? Her frequency that's in her body that's connected to all her children, her grandchildren, her future, and her past, I can change that whole frequency because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. People say, Angel, that's not true. Yeah, because the leaven of molestation leavened her. So by God, the leaven of forgiveness can leaven her. You see? And that leaven has the word L-E-A in it. Look up the word L-E-A. It means field. A field for planting. You see? And that's, what's, that's what we're doing. We're going to go into the field of your heart. It's an electromagnetic field. And we're going to go into the field of your brain where all those seeds of the past, those words of the past, have been producing a part truth. We're going to bring them into all truth. And when all truth comes, you don't need me or anybody else to set you free because there's only one deliverer, and it ain't me. No child ever delivered itself. God is the deliverer. He always was. 
and he always will be. He's our shield. He's our buckler. And God's not waiting for you to get good for him to bless you. That would be a trade. God's not in the business of trade. He will not take a bribe. We've misunderstood Deuteronomy chapter 28. Actually, one, the whole thing. We've misunderstood what the law came here for. The law did not come here for you to fulfill it. The law came here as a schoolmaster to show you that you can't. If you could fulfill it, then Jesus wouldn't have to. You see that? In Deuteronomy chapter 1, before all that other stuff is given, there's a, there's a hidden message in it. It says this. Moses told, before he gave him the law, he said this to him. He said, only the children who don't trust in the knowledge of good and evil will enter the promised land. And then he goes and tells them all about good and evil. Wow. Wow. Like, did we miss chapter 1? Here's the answer. Yeah, we did. I had a lady on, um, on my podcast who, who uh, messaged me and she said, um, this message was on vilify God or choose to be pierced. And that's what it means in Deuteronomy when it says, uh, I set before you life and death, choose life. It says, I set before you piercing and vilification, choose piercing. She said, I can't find anywhere in the Hebrew where that word means piercing. So I actually went and took the Hebrew word life and I copied it and pasted it into the, where it was. And, and I told her, I said, now you see these other words in here. One word meant appetite. One word was wild beast. Another word was to spring forth or spring up. Well, if you go look those words up, it means to cut or to chew or to pierce. So when you first look at a word and you look at the translation of it, and you, you could pick any one of those words and it all be true. But in order for you to really understand the word in the context of what it's given, you got to understand the entire word, which means you might have to go back to each letter. You might have to go back to the gematra. But if you only look at the face value of that word, that's like eating a cucumber seed and think you're eating a cucumber. Well, you are, technically. But I bet you it don't taste the same, feel the same, smell the same, nor look the same. Now, which one would you rather have, a bowl of cucumber seeds or a salad with a cucumber in it? That's what the Word of God is like. The Word of God is seed. But in order for us to get the fruit of that seed, the meat of that seed, we're going to have to go through Christ, which is the sprout of the root of Jesse. He's also the manna that's come down from heaven. He's also the living water, and He's the blood and he's the lamb that we have to eat and drink. And that's a lot of times we live at surface. So you're actually going to, we're going to take the word of God that you've studied your whole life. And we're going to live it out. We're going to literally apply it. So I'm going to, um, let, me, let me turn the podcast off just for now. Um, so you guys can tune in and you can message me if you have questions. But we're going to turn the, this recording off for the moment.